You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Emily from the Together in Literacy podcast, and I am here just quickly to pop in to announce the winner of the episode four book giveaway in which we were featuring some titles that could support SEL and dyslexia awareness. And we asked our listeners to choose a random number between one and 1,000. Well, we have a winner. We chose the random number at 756. Our winner that was the closest to that number with 752 was Debbie. So Debbie, we have your email address. We will be reaching out to you to get those books shipped out. Thank you so much to everyone who answered and entered the contest. And we hope that you will continue to be a supportive listener of the Together in Literacy podcast. Hello, everyone. Here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Welcome. Hi, everyone. We are episode five. Oh, my goodness. We're on our <laughs> fifth episode. I can't believe it. Uh, how Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham's work and legacy supports social emotional learning. This is a really exciting episode for us. And it's so exciting that we're going to break it into two parts because we have so much to talk about <laughs> with it. So we're going to dive into that in a few minutes. But first, we love to share feedback. So it's just feedback time from one of our wonderful listeners. And this is this one comes from Carolyn. And Carolyn has said, I am very excited to learn more. My daughter is in the process of being tested for dyslexia. I've tried to teach, help her learn how to read. She's in the sixth grade. So the social impacts are huge right now. I am ready to help her and can't wait to learn more. And I just love that we have parents listening, caregivers and teachers. So thank you, Carolyn, for that. And, and I think Casey, it really speaks to the point that, you know, this really is a collaboration, right? Between families. And I know Emily and I have both spoken about this, that importance for us in our private practice to really have this relationship, not just only, you know, with the child, but with the families and the other educators that work with them. I think when we have that try, you know, that teamwork approach, um, really great things can happen for our, our students and our families. And we want to hear from you. 
So if this pod, podcast has made a great impact on you and your students, then we want to hear from you. We love a positive rating and love to read your feedback. And you never know, your feedback might be shared on a future episode. <laughs> so uh, be sure to get in touch with us and let us know what you think. All yeah. right, Casey, we're yeah. ready. We are. And you know what? I'm really excited about this episode number five and episode number six, where we're really going to be talking about the legacy of Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham and really what it is that they left for us as educators for and working with our students. You know, if you are an Orton Gillingham trained educator, you have a set of principles that you follow that go along with their philosophy and their, their legacy that they left behind. So the, you know, we're just going to quickly go over some of those principles that we use um, that really uphold that integrity of the Orton Gillingham approach. And I do as a sidebar, just want to say that Orton Gillingham is in fact an approach. It is not a program. There are programs who are Orton Gillingham based, but Orton Gillingham, when you see that it Orton Gillingham is an approach. So Right. That approach. <laughs> and Casey just totally read my mind when she just said that. That's why I love her so much. <laughs> so thank you for saying that. Yes. Well, I think it's an important distinction because I think it, the, the waters have gotten a little bit muddied. And so, yeah, I just want us to understand that there's many different programs that utilize and follow the Orton Gillingham principles. And that's what we're here to kind of talk about today. So the principles that we, you know, are using, they're the ones that are upholding the integrity of this approach that was established by Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham. So we want to make sure that our instruction is multi-sensory. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but you know, using the simultaneous parts, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and incorporating those throughout our lessons. Another principle is that we want to be diagnostic. This is, I think, a really important piece for our, our work with our students. We want to make sure that um, we are teaching concepts and skills for mastery um, and that our lessons are designed to help our students reach that goal. And then being prescriptive, where this is where our teacher knowledge is so important right? We want to make sure that we have the knowledge base to make those decisions for instruction specifically to meet the needs of our students. Another principle is to be systematic and sequential, right? Following a specific order of progression where skills are are built on top of one another. Think about, you know, you're laying a foundation of a house. You want a really solid foundation. So your house isn't shaky. We want to have, we want to be explicit. We're using that direct instruction, flexible, which I know, I think sometimes people get this idea that Orton Gillingham approach is not flexible, that it's really rigid, but I found it to be the opposite that when I understand at a deep level, what my students need, and I understand all of the components that go into it, and I'm following the Orton Gillingham approach that I'm actually able to be flexible to meet the needs of my specific students. So, so true. Yeah. (laughs) Emotionally sound, right. Orton Gillingham is is always um, reviewing previously taught material. We have this spiral concept that we take into place and then being language-based, right? We're going to devote time to study all aspects of language, um, its history and how it works and impacts learning. So there is a, there's a lot, but those are really the core principles that uphold the Orton Gillingham approach. And today we're really going to be talking about honoring 
Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham, who really left us with so much knowledge. And it's really quite amazing, really, when you when you hear their journey and their story and, and all that they brought forth for the, the dyslexic community. Right. Thank you so much for going through those principles, Casey. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that, drew, that really I've been drawn to over the years with Orton Gillingham, the way everything really is playing to the strengths of the, of the learner and helping them become successful. And I just love that. Uh, so, you know, I had spent quite a bit of time exploring the life of Dr. Samuel Orton over the summer, and I'm not going to get into a huge biography of him in this episode. I'm just going to share a few quick things, but things about his life that helped me and helped Casey understand him and where he was coming from more deeply. And it's, connection to social emotional learning. One of the books that I had read that we are going to be referencing a little bit is the book, The Many Faces of Dyslexia. It's by Margaret Bird Rawson. I'm also going to be referencing a letter that had been written by a fellow of the Orton Gillingham Academy, Mary Robinson Wells, and she had worked personally with Dr. Samuel Orton and knew things and shared things about him and his personality that just help us really appreciate and honor his legacy so much more uh, when we get to know him and in this way, uh, but also Anna Gillingham as well. So I've been talking a little bit of and referencing a little bit of those things and, and Casey and I will be going into something that uh, Rawson had talked about, which was the Ortonian prescription, which is just basically summarizing important points about the treatment plan that Orton recommended and how it connects to our Orton-Gillingham principles of today Mm -hmm. and how that is connected to social emotional learning. So these are really deeply tied and we hope we don't confuse you too, too much, but I think I just find this so, so interesting. So uh, Dr. Samuel Orton was a neuropsychologist and a pathologist. He worked with people with brain injuries and starting, this is so interesting, but in 1925, he went to a school in Iowa to study readers. And he did a particular study because teachers were saying, these kids really are failing at reading. And he wanted to find out why. And the more he studied, not only people with brain injuries, but people who had struggled with reading, he began to hypothesize and he would make these theories. And this was really ahead of his time because there were no fMRIs back then, but he was able to look at and see, hmm, is there something with cerebral organization? Is there the failure of one hemisphere to have some kind of maybe faulty patterning. He was looking at right and left-hand dominance and things like that. Some of his studies were really just once again, ahead of their time. And if you look and study further, you will see some of those theories really have a lot of validity to them even today. And so we thank Dr. Orton for that work that he did with those brain injury people and also with the students that I think was I think became the impetus for his Orton Gillingham treatment uh, down the road. And so he passed away in 1948, but there are so many things that we can, we have learned from reading about him that just resonate so beautifully and that really I appreciate and have so much gratitude for, but 
if you want to learn a little bit more about his hypotheses and, and his theories, there's a lot of research that's housed, I believe, in New York, but there is an article written by Norman Geshwind, and he, read, he wrote it in 1982, called Why Orton Was Right. That's a pretty compelling title. And I had, I had read that uh, in one of my Orton Gillingham trainings uh, many years ago. I highly recommend reading it. It's something that is a paid article. If you search for it online, it's something that is, you do have to pay to be able to read and, and get the rights to, to seeing. But you could contact a public library mm -hmm. and see if they can give you access that way. So uh, once again, it was called Why Orton Was Right. And Dr. Gashwind had gone into some of the theories, even in 1982 at the time, and, and see what was still prevalent today in his theories. And sure, we're in 2021 right now, and we know that we have so much more brain research, thanks to people like Dr. Sally Shaywitz and overcoming dyslexia and, you know, fMRIs and all the research she had done. And, but we really see Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham as pioneers. Yeah. I can so, like the trailblazers, right? Because yeah. they, we, I mean, we still use their principles. We still, the foundation of our work lies with, within their research. And I think that's really quite amazing. You know, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Orton's wife, June. She was yes. worked, worked tirelessly with him. And you know what? He was inspired by multi multi-sensory teaching um, by Grace Fernald, who worked with the blind and, and saw what she was doing and thought that, yes, there is a way that I can incorporate that in a systematic way. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was just beautiful. But Mary Robinson Wells, knew him personally, worked with him and just described him as keenly aware and sympathetic and felt deeply the problems of the children and the parents and their struggles with reading. He made it a point to keep in touch with his patients. He knew that there was a huge blow to their self-confidence and I think had just was keenly aware, but ex an extremely empathetic person. He had lifelong interests in science and nature. He was noted as a keen observer, which imagine that you really have to be right when working with students like that. And I love that not only Dr. Orton, but also Anna Gillingham saw the need for summer programs that not only offered remediation for these children with dyslexia, but also recreation. And so we know that they saw the need to look at the whole child, not just at the academic side. And that's just so wonderful, Casey. I think so too. I think that that really connects so much of what Emily and I have been talking about that it's not, well, yes, we, we focus on the academic components and we, you know, that's where we spend so much of our time talking about that when we're working with professional, other professionals and parents, but really we can't ignore the social emotional piece. We can't ignore looking at the whole child. And I, you know, it was one of the reasons why Emily and I wanted to, to have this podcast, because it's a piece that we both bring into our practices, but it's also a piece that I think can often be overshadowed by the academic components. And I love hearing about how for Dr. Orton, you know, this was part of his work. It, it wasn't something that was separate. It was something that was done 
together. And I think that's just such a beautiful legacy for us to continue. Right. And I'll just wrap up with this quote before we move on to the next segment of the podcast. But I just thought that this beautifully illustrated who he was as a person, but also Anna Gillingham as well. And Mary Robinson Wells said that Orton taught her to respect the uniqueness of the child, to teach to his intelligence, to plan with flexibility and creativity. And that really, I think, sums up many of the Orton Gillingham principles that we're addressing, but also just the, at the heart of it all is looking at, once again, the whole child. Yeah. I love that. Just love that quote. I want to put it in a, put it on a poster. I want to hang it. I want to share it on social media, all that good stuff. I think you, I think you should. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Emily and I wanted to kind of since this is such a big piece and, and we really wanted to do it justice, we want to break down the, the Ortonian prescription and into two episodes. So today we're going to be talking about the first five prescriptions, and then we're going to be talking about the, the rest in episode six. So it's, yes. It's- and this is really a summary from the many faces of dyslexia. So mm-hmm. Margaret Bird Rawson, uh, you know, wanted to summarize all of Orton's work and both Orton and Gillingham in this treatment plan. So if you want to read more about it, certainly you can pick up many faces of dyslexia, but we're just going to sort of break down each one. Okay. Yeah. So the the first one that she noted was that we want to make sure that we analyze the language to be learned into its smallest useful elements. So, you know, understanding that the sounds that we hear and speak and the graphic symbols, that orthography piece that we use when we read and write. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want to reduce the cognitive load. We want to reduce the necessary memory load or the, which is oftentimes quite challenging for our students. So when we're, when we're being explicit in our instruction, we're hitting those academic pieces and we're helping students understand that you know, those phoneme grapheme relationships, then what's happening is we're able to really take away a lot of that stress. We're providing students with a really systematic approach that is going to provide them with strategies that are sound and it can then eliminate some of the stress without, you know, anything to, to be able to link speech sounds to print. Right. And uh, we can even link to a great book on cognitive load theory if you need more information about that. But I think that really does speak to that point number one in the prescription for sure. Mm -hmm. So point number two is to make sure that we're teaching thoroughly to the point of automaticity. And the beauty of Orton-Gillingham is that we teach the mastery. Mm -hmm. And we know in the public schools that that may not always be what we can try and achieve because public school teachers really are, are strapped with a lot of curriculum demands. We understand that. We have both been public school teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're in an intervention model, though, when we're working with children with dyslexia, our goal really is to teach to mastery. And because we're able to do that, we are able to help children experience a level of success 
and also remove the confusion that we have used our multi-sensory approach. We've been systematic. We have given direct instruction to make sure that they, we are getting them to the point of mastery. And when that child experiences that feeling of success, particularly for someone who has not experienced that, that is extremely powerful. Yeah. And that really links into point number three, where we want to make sure that we're teaching thoroughly with those multi-sensory approach techniques, because when we do that, right, we're connecting the visual, the auditory, the tactile in a way that is going to create those neural pathways that are necessary to help our students break the reading code. And when they do that, One of the things that I think is really helpful for our students is they start to see success, but then they can also, we can help them link that back to their metacognitive awareness, right? They're under, they're thinking about their thinking and, and understanding like why this is helping them and how it's helping them. And all of that really bridges into those self-advocacy skills that we want them to take later in life. And so I, you know, all of these are just so interwoven in with one another, but they're all uniquely important as well. So I think, you know, really bringing in those multi-sensory pieces are so important and keeping them in a way that's moving learning forward, right? So being mindful of what multi-sensory approaches we're bringing so that it's, it's helping to move learning forward, helping to make those necessary connections in the brain. Such an important point, Casey. Absolutely. And I love when children are able to able to communicate the connections that they see to link back to previous learnings. Like, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And are able to explain that in future lessons. So, so wonderful. The next point, this is point number four. Synthesize what is learned. So as you're progressing in practice we are, you know, in the spoken and the written word, but also at, you know, as we read, we are working once again in a systematic way. But I think in part of that is the importance of corrective feedback. And I think that, you know, some people, when they think about corrective feedback, think like, oh, so does that mean you just say like, no, that's wrong. (laughs) No, we have a really creative and interesting way that we teachers who have been trained in Norton Gillingham use our language to communicate, to get children to try and find what needs to be fixed, not without us explicitly saying it to them. And we have specific strategies to do that. So, but to synthesize what they've learned just in a variety of ways so that when we're teaching something like CH or TCH. Okay, well, we've done lessons on CH, we've done lessons on TCH, and now we're ready to discuss when you're going to use this spelling pattern over this one to make those appropriate graphing choices. And it's just constantly building and building just a little bit more, a little bit more that children begin once again to feel that success. Yeah. And I think that that really bridges into point number five, right? Where we want to teach to the child's intellect. And when we're using that language and we're using that immediate corrective feedback in a way that helps a child reflect on what they're doing and link their learning, we are really teaching to their intellect and we're honoring what it is that they know and can learn and their unique 
perspective on how they learn things. I think that that is such an important and powerful piece because we want to use that cognition and that approach really purposefully in order to really help our students master their learning. And, you know, many people think, oh, Orton-Gillingham is just phonics and it's so, so much more than that. I love that Orton-Gillingham educators really take the time to discuss the English language and the history behind that. And I think that really does speak to the child's intellect when we take the time to do that. This is the why. Kids want to know why. They do. And you know what? I, I had a high school student and when we were working on this and I was breaking down, you know, a lot of like the, the layers of the English language yeah. and things like that. And she said, she was so cute. She would go back to school and this just shows how empowered she was in her self-confidence, but she would go back to school and she would tell her friends and her friends were like, how do you know this? You are so smart. And she's like, oh, well, I, I'm dyslexic. And I, I learned this stuff. Like you all should be learning this too. Like she was so empowered with that knowledge that she was gaining that, I mean, and her friends were just blown away that she knew all of this stuff about the English language that right. really they hadn't been exposed to. So. I know. I love doing <laughs> lessons on the Scrabble. O. <laughs> students yeah. just love learning about the history behind that. When they think about the word love and so forth, I just, yeah, I just love it. So fascinating. Yeah, Yeah, it is fascinating (laughs) and it's fun for us too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just to connect to that last point, I found this quote from Anna Gillingham that I absolutely love and sums up not only the point that we were talking about in point number one, where we want to reduce cognitive load, but also to teach to the intellect. And she had said, Facts can be taught quickly, but skills come slowly. You're not teaching rote memorization here. Right. This is a journey. This is a pathway. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because sometimes, you know, if people have a misunderstanding of what the Orrin Gillingham approach is, they may feel that it's like kill and drill or something like that. It's not the case at all. It's, it's unpacking the English language. And with that comes a deep knowledge and this deep understanding of how our spoken language connects to print. And I think that when you approach it through that lens, it's really powerful for for our students, but also for parents that are starting to learn this and for educators too. I mean, when they start to see like, oh my goodness, it makes, it makes sense. (laughs) It's really cool to see. Yeah. And you know, we, uh, Casey and I are just so incredibly grateful for our Orton Gillingham training Mm -hmm. and for the work of Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham and to be able to share all of these points with you. We hope this has just opened up a little more of a view into their work, into how much they truly cared about children and in all areas. And we're going to be talking more about the Ortonian prescription points in episode number six, but we just love talking about this. I, I wish I'm going to have to make a trip to New York city so I can read more about him. There's a lot of, a lot of archived research of his that I would just love to take a little field trip. I don't know about you, Casey, but I think we I should. I think so too. And, you know, I just, I wonder, you know, it would be so amazing to, I just wonder what, what he and, and Anna Gillingham would think about, you know, the legacy that they've left because they truly have, I mean, Orton Gillingham approach is, is is it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to wrap up today 
Thank you so much for listening. So don't forget to check the show notes and we'll put in links to different things that we might find that you might find valuable. So any books or things like that, we'll let you know. Um, and the website is www.togetherinliteracy.com. Uh, we had a listener question yes, and that we wanted to wrap up with. And I'm just going to read the question and then we'll talk about our plan. So this says, starts with, hi, ladies, I am a dyslexia interventionist in a public elementary school and have some younger kiddos struggle with memory. I'm not sure if you call it phonological memory or working memory, but they are able to correctly sound out the letters, but then say a completely different word. Can you talk more about that on one of your episodes? Okay, Casey. So yeah, I think that this is a, I love this question. I mean, I, I think this question really almost deserves a whole episode in and of itself, because there's a lot to unpack here. Um, you know, talking about that phonological memory, which we know is a, is usually a deficit of our students with dyslexia. And, you know, when we understand that dyslexia exists on a continuum, you're going to see some students who are really, really blocked in that phonological memory, working memory piece. And then you also have students who have working memory. And so I really want to honor this question enough. So Emily and I talked about this and, and in order to do it justice, we really thought that we want to address it maybe in a whole episode because yeah. there's just a lot here to, for us to unpack. Right. And there are also many factors to, to really look at more closely that we may not know information about. So yes, we're going to plan this for a future episode. We want to remind you all that if you have a question for us to answer then, uh, and you'd like it featured on one of the future episodes, we'd be happy to do that. We don't share anyone's names. We, we secure that anonymity for you. But if you, if you would like to do that, then our email address is support at togetherinliteracy.com. And once again, if you could uh, leave us a positive review or rating, we would love that as well. And uh, we will see you next time for episode six on the Orton prescription and the connection to social emotional learning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.